This morning, we are going to look at the last few verses in 1 John as we conclude our sermon series on this wonderful book. And as kind of a reminder, uh, what's going on is this letter takes place in the later part of the first century, an area called Ephesus, where there's a group of believers who are kind of clustered together that kind of sprung up largely through the ministry and the teachings of the Apostle John. And along the way, some false teachers have showed up, and they have claimed to have special knowledge from and about God. And their teaching isn't syncing up with what John has written. And they claim that only they, their narrow band of followers and people who followed their teaching, belonged to God. They were the chosen ones. And so everybody else is at risk. So that's left a lot of people confused. And so Grandpa John sits down to write a letter. And this letter has not been about abstract ideas on the periphery of things. This is a desperate attempt of a grandfather to securely anchor his children and grandchildren in the faith. And so what John addresses in these concluding verses, get right at the heart of living as children of God. How is it possible for ordinary fallen human beings like you and I to live in bold assurance that everything is okay between God and us. That's what John's addressing here. So in 1 John 5, 13, he tells us exactly who he's writing for. It's, it's very rare in a letter that you get a statement that's this clear about the audience and what the writer wants to do for them. Verse 13 I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. He says, I write it for you who trust or have committed yourself to Jesus so you can have absolute assurance. Remember, these false teachers were claiming that they and only they and their followers were God's children. And that raised questions in these people's minds, questions that many times we may ask ourselves, how do I know I really belong to God? What are the marks that show that God is at work in somebody's life? How can I live in the appropriate kind of spiritual confidence, not in smugness, not in self-righteousness, but how can I live with assurance, with out anxiety. Because of the tremendous lack of assurance here, he's been writing to these friends of his. In fact, you remember 1 John 3, 1, he wrote, See what love the Father have given us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. John says you can live in the love of the Father, and you can choose to devote your life to receiving and extending the love of God. That can be your life. It is possible for you to live in the constant care and loving protection of God. It really is possible because God is love, John says. You know, many years ago when our children were really young, we loved to uh, travel a bit and camp out. And uh, we'd love to go up to the UP and uh, would camp there, kind of in the backwaters, kind of a, uh, a campground. 
and we would spend the day hiking and, and fishing, and then we'd spend the evening sitting around the fire and toasting marshmallows and doing all those things that we do. And then we'd all crawl into the, the, the little camper kind of a deal, and uh, the boys would always, like, tell us a story. Tell us a story. So it would be kind of become kind of our story time. So, so many times we just read stories or we tell stories. And I always liked the stories that would just kind of push on the, the whole idea of that God is a God of love. And God cares for them. And so I told them about a movie that came out decades before them. Uh, it was called The Bear. I don't know if anybody's seen the movie The Bear. Uh, it's, a, it's kind of a documentary movie type deal. And it's about this little bear cub whose mother has died, and you know the bear cub's chance of survival is zero. But this strange thing happens. This cub kind of gets adopted by a great big daddy bear. And the daddy bear is always watching over it, teaches the little cub how to be a bear. And everything the big daddy bear does, the little cub does. Stabs at fish like a daddy bear does, scratches his back against a tree like daddy bear does. Uh, and you think, nah, he's got it made. He's going to make it. Until one day, they get separated. And the little bear can't see his dad anywhere. And there's this moment. There's a mountain lion that's been kind of like this arch villain throughout the whole thing. And this mountain lion's been tracking this cub, just waiting for the opportune moment. And now it sees its opportunity. And it comes face to face with the little cub. And it gets ready to spring. And the the mountain lion snarls, and, and you know the little cub doesn't stand a chance. And so this little bear does what it's seen its daddy bear do. It just rears up on its hind legs, it puts its little paws in the air, and it tries to roar, but out comes this little squeak. That's all that comes out, just this little tiny kind of squeak. And then the camera pans to the mountain lion, and the mountain lion gets this look of terror on its face. And it stops snarling, and it turns, and it slinks away. And then the camera backs up, and you pan back, and you see what the little bear cannot see, which is that behind the little bear is the great big daddy bear. And he's standing up on his hind legs, and his great big paws are lifted in the air, and he lets out an enormous growl. And then we know that this little bear never really had anything to worry about. We know what that little bear didn't know, that it couldn't see him or hear him or smell him, but his father was there the whole time. And I always tell our boys, you live in the hand of God. You never have to worry about anything. You never have to fear anything. God has you in his hand. You are the beloved of God, John loves to tell. That's the love of the Father. It's just the best. John would tell them, God's got you in his hand. Jesus, whom John followed, never grew tired of teaching about this love of God. Jesus would say, don't worry. Don't worry about your life. What you will eat, or what you will drink. Why do we worry? Consider... The flowers of the field, he says, they don't labor or spin. Flowers never have to restructure. Stru flowers never have to deconstruct. Flowers don't have to attend motivational seminars to release their inner redwood within them. Yet look at them. 
He says, next to them, Solomon in his splendor. Looks like he bought his clothes at a thrift shop. And if this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, gone tomorrow, won't he take care of you? Jesus says, just think about the birds in the air. Just look at them. We, my wife and I love this time of the year because all the birds are coming back. Filling our feeders every day. We get to see all the new ones and what returns. But you look at the birds. They don't have any fear. They don't live in worry. They don't have high blood pressure and colitis. How does it happen that they have enough to eat? He says it's not by accident. Jesus says every time they eat, they're being fed by the Father. John is simply echoing Jesus here in verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of Him. He goes, your Father knows. He listens and He cares. He's taking care of you. Now, if the father that has that kind of concern for little birds, if he knows every time a sparrow falls out of a tree, and and again, you, you kind of get here, the point of this teaching is not about God's ability to keep track of information. It's all about the love of God. And see what confidence you can have in the love of God, John says, that in our time of need, we can go to God and he will provide as we need. So imagine... For a moment, what it is like. What would it be like for you to live moment by moment, day by day, in the constant awareness and the experience of the love of the Father? That God knows about you, that God knows about your sin, about your junk, and so on, and you, He is just a holy, just God, and yet He is consumed in his heart. He just delights in you. You don't have to worry. You don't have to live in fear. He's got you. And you can live from moment to moment in the warmth and tenderness of the love of God and stop the craziness that we call this world, the crazy race to prove how important you are, significant you are, how attractive you are. You live in the hand of God. That's the love of the Father. John says it is just the best. And then John says, anybody who authentically receives God loves, extends it to others. In verse 16, if you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. In other words, if you've been transformed by the love of God, you can confidently come before God, but not just for ourselves, but in love for others. We've kind of seen this throughout this series. Classic example is this is in 1 John 4, verse 7. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love, that is, whoever does not extend the love of God, does not know God. Why? Because God is love. When you live in the love of God authentically, then your life becomes extending that love to other people. There's a friend of ours here in this church. 
who noticed that in her uh, daily schedule that she would have moments of opportunity, 15 minutes to spare. Many times she found out that at work she had little breaks and she had 15 minutes and she figured out sometimes I'm standing in line at the grocery store, the coffee shop, and I got 15 minutes I could, I could use for something in that time uh, frame. And so she said she began to pray a prayer. And her prayer was, in these next 15 minutes, God, I want you to give me something to do. I want you to give me something to do or somebody to talk to. Do you have anything I can take care of, anybody I can pray for? And she says sometimes when she prays that, God will say, yep, uh, there's something real clear for her to do. Sometimes God will say, put up your feet, nothing shaken. Not God's exact words, but that was kind of the message behind what she was saying. And that has led her to have conversations with folk that otherwise she would not have been open to doing or confidence to speak before. But she would simply pray, God, 15 minutes, it's yours. What do you want me to do? You know, you can live that kind of life. You can do that with your life. You can live an amazing adventure of life with God in service of him to others. But you know, John also warns that it is possible to get distracted or worse, choose to live your life without God in service to your own self. That's what he's referring to in verse 16. There is a sin that leads to death. There is a choice that leads to eternal ruin, and that is to refuse God's love and to refuse to live Jesus' way of life. Remember, the false teachers that have caused so much confusion to these young believers were teaching that God is not a God of love. That Jesus was not God in flesh. And that you can enjoy life any way you want to. Because what you do in the body doesn't matter. So live the life you want. However you want. John says that way of life leads to ruin. So John says in verse 18. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. Now I want to unpack that for a moment. Often as I talk to people, one of the things they wonder about life with God is this. How much sin can there be in my life before I need to start worrying? You ever asked that question or thought that question? Is there a level of sin that is acceptable for Christians? Like if you go higher than a certain level, are you like in danger, like the level of mercury in Lake Superior or something? Is there a limit to how much we can sin. How, how low does the bar go? How low can we go kind of a thing? Uh, is it something like the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, that has limits to impurities? Is it high, like for homogenized milk? Or is the bar low, like hot dogs, where you can just kind of throw anything and everything into it? What's the deal? Is it possible to be a Christian and sin? Is that possible? Well, again, look at verse 18. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. And the one who was born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. Uh, look over at 1 John 3, 9, another verse. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in them, they cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. 
Now, do those words kind of shake anybody a little bit? And if that's not enough, look at 1 John 1, 8, and then verse 10. John says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then in verse 10, he says, If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So, no one who is born of God will continue to sin. And if we claim we have not sinned, we're lying. How in the world does that all work? What is John saying here? Would you like to know what he means by all that? So would I. Next week when Pastor Darrell comes back, he'll explain it all to us. All right? I'm just kidding. This doesn't need to create any anxiety in us, all right? Again, there were people who were claiming that they had achieved a state of sinless perfection and they could do anything that they wanted. So John demands both that we acknowledge our sinfulness and recognize that we're called to live a Jesus life. To live a Jesus-centered life. That's what we're called to strive toward with full assurance. For John, to live a life of submission to Christ was his life's passion. John wanted to live as Jesus lived. John wanted to love as Jesus loved. John wanted to serve as Jesus served. And you'll notice for John, everything centers around Jesus. Look at verse 18. The one who was born of God, that's Jesus, keeps them safe and the evil one cannot harm them. Ever worried that if you'd sin too much, you'd lose your faith? Ever worried God will just get tired of you? John says, Jesus has got you. <laughs> He's got you. You don't have to worry. And because of Jesus, notice what happens, verse 19. We know that we are children of God. And that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. The evil one can control everything, but you are the children of God. You don't need to worry. We know also that the Son of God, that's Jesus, has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him, that is God, who is true. And we are in him, that is God, who is true. By being in his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God in eternal life. And if we weren't such stoic Northlanders, everyone would say, Amen. Amen. You see, John is saying, Put aside all the fears and distractions of this world and the sin that will entangle us. Pursue Jesus and his life of full devotion to the love of God and the love of people. You know, it's an amazing thing when you see someone who is able to love in the right way to the right degree with the right kind of love. And there's only been one like that so far, and that's been Jesus. And when you see Jesus, you see someone who is able to embrace everything and just get it all right. His love for God, his love for people, the way he enjoyed life. He loved the right things in the right way to the right degree with the right kind of love. And now John says, just to be clear on this. If you're not centered on Jesus, then sin will seduce you into giving away your heart to something else that just doesn't matter. 
Sin, as John sees it, is just a cheap imitation of the life that Jesus offers. He says you've got to choose. Love the world or sin. Or love of the Father. Which one are you going to choose? Now, if you love acquiring possessions more than helping people who are starving to death, if you love beauty so much that you snub those who are not physically attractive to you, if you are so driven to climb the ladder of success that you use people instead of serving them, and if you pour so much energy into acquisitions and achievement and so on that at nighttime all you have left to do in terms of energy is to just veg out in front of the television or on social media, never read good things, never be immersed in scripture, never think deep thoughts, never pray great prayers, never pour your life out in serving in great acts of love and kindness, then you can acquire and snub and climb and veg to your heart's content, but it just leads to ruin. So why do it? John says you got to choose. Put them on a scale. Love of sin, love of the Father. What do you want to give your life to? Here's the deal, John says. You're going to choose. Everybody here chooses. This is not something you can put on a shelf and say you'll get back to it. Your heart will choose because the human heart was made to love. It can't help itself. You will give your heart to one or the other. And you will either give it to the Father and devote your life to living in and extending the love of God or you will give your heart to the world in sin. And John says, you got to know, the world is passing away. Time's about to run out. you got to choose. So John ends his letter with a plea in verse 21. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. you got to slow it down and now read that through the eyes of Grandpa John. My precious loved ones, don't give your heart away to some cheap imitation. For God's sake, choose the love that will last. Choose the greater love. Choose the love of God. Jesus will show you the way. Would you bow with me in prayer? God, our words are so inadequate to try to convey the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of your love. So God, by the power of your Spirit, somehow will you speak to all of us in this room. God, you love each and every one of these people here. From the moment you thought them up, the moment you formed them in their womb, every moment of our lives, we are loved and cherished by you. So much that you came in flesh, your son Jesus came to this earth showed us how to love you fully and to love others fully and then going to the cross taking upon himself the sins of the world our sin and freeing us so we don't have to live according to that sin anymore and now we can live the true life the life 
that you have for each and every one of us, a life of love and mercy and grace and truth. God, I pray this morning that if there is anyone here who has not received that love of God, who have never made that decision to receive that free gift, this be the moment to say, Jesus, please come into my life. Thank you for your love for me. Thank you for taking my sins upon yourself. And I now want to follow you as my Lord and my Savior, the teacher of my life. Help me to live your way. God, I pray if anybody is here this morning who's never done that, that this be the moment, because they can do it right now. And God, help all of us here to live as children of God, for that is who we are. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.